Amen. Thank you, man. Appreciate that. Well, I'm tell you what, Sammy sang a solo this morning and done put a crew together for tonight. I'm telling you, he going places fast. But uh, anyway, thank you, man. Appreciate that. Brother Harry, that's just for you. Victory in Jesus. Amen. We do have victory in Jesus, and I thank the Lord for it. We're going to be in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter number four this evening, where we'll be taking our text from, and we're going to be continuing looking at this thought that we started last Sunday night of I am a church member. And tonight we're going to be looking at the thought of I will be a unifying church member. I will be a unifying church member. Uh, last week we looked at the fact that church membership is not a country club type of membership where you pay your dues uh, and reap the benefits, uh, but instead church membership is joining a body. It's becoming an active, involved, contributing part of the whole which works together to accomplish a common goal. The picture that we have there on the slide illustrates uh, that church membership is me giving my all to contribute uh, to the goal uh, of the church. Last week we considered Paul's example there in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, how that he looked at the individual parts of the body, the hand, the foot, the eye, uh, the ear, and he compared how that each one uh, in their own capacity works together to accomplish the job that the body has been given to do. And he compared that to the church, how that each one of us in our own capacity uh, work together to fulfill the work of the church. And of course the work of the church uh, is to reach the world with the gospel uh, as effectively and efficiently as we possibly can. And so Paul gave the illustration how each one of us have different gifts, each one of us have different talents, uh, each one of us have different abilities, but these abilities and gifts and talents come together to work together that the church can accomplish what God has called them to do. But in order for this to work, there's a couple of things uh, that must come into play. In order for this plan to work the way that God intends it to work, there's some things that must come into play. Now last Sunday night, we looked at the fact that 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 13, and 14 were written to the church concerning church membership. Uh, and we looked at the fact that chapter number 13, the charity chapter that we often read to preach Valentine's Day messages from, was actually written as instruction to the church as to how church members ought to interact uh, with one another. We saw how that the Bible made it clear that a pure, selfless, genuine love for one another is the salve that smooths out all our differences because let's face it, even though we have been born again, even though we are part of the family of God, we are still imperfect humans. And imperfect humans have a tendency to offend and to say things that they should not, to do things that is misinterpreted and it can cause a tremendous amount of friction. So in order for imperfect humans to work together in perfect harmony, there's got to be a have. Uh, Joel just uh, this past weekend put a new uh, rear end underneath his truck uh, and in that uh, in that gearbox uh, there is grease uh, and in that gearbox you have all these metal gears rubbing against each other uh, and you put in amongst all those gears uh, a thick heavy grease uh, and what that thick heavy grease does is it allows those abrasive 
gears to work together without abrasion. Charity in the church is the grace that allows abrasive components to work together without abrasion. As we've seen how that this pure, selfless, genuine love is the salve that covers our flaw. 1 Peter 4.8 says it this way, For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. The glue that bonds us together is this charity that we found in 1 Corinthians 13. So last week we looked at some biblical principles of charity in the church, but tonight I want to look at some practical examples of how this love among members should look or what the result of it will be. We're going to take our text from Ephesians chapter number 4. I'm going to read verse 1. Uh, down through verse number 7, then we're going to drop down to verse number 11 and read down through verse number 16. The Bible says there in Ephesians chapter number 4, verse number 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, even as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. But unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. Now go with me to verse number 11. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness. Lord, we thank you again for the opportunity that we have to come to your house. Now, Lord, as we look into your word this evening, Lord, concerning this very important, this very vital part of church membership, Lord, as we look at this subject of being united together in our calls for Christ, Father, I pray that you will help us, Lord, to see, Lord, that we will grasp the truth, Lord, that we will inspect ourselves and ask ourselves the question, are we being a unifying member? And help us, Lord, to go away from here, oh, Lord, purposing in our heart that we will be united together for the cause of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you for each one that is here. Thank you for each one that is watching online. Lord, I pray that you will bless each and every one. Thank you for your goodness, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. And amen. As we look at this passage of Scripture, uh, we see the aspects of unity and love are separate, uh, but they are tightly woven together. They work simultaneously uh, in strengthening and bonding the church uh, together for the cause of Christ. As you look at this passage, you will see in verse number 2, the word love. In verse number 3, the word unity. You will see in uh, verse... Uh, 
Number 13, the word unity. You will see in verse number 15, the word love. All throughout this passage, the principles of love and unity are intertwined together. You will also notice in verse number 4, it speaks of one body, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. This is unifying. There is one that is applied to all. You will notice also that it says that each of these things, it says in verse number 6, is above all, through all, and in you all. Now I don't know if you understand what the word all means, but what it means is that everyone is included. This isn't for certain people and others are left out. This thing of unity applies to all. So we look here at this passage and we see how that the subject of a church being united together is all through this passage of Scripture. The Bible has much to say about the importance of a church being unified through the bond of love, being unified together through the bond of love. Do you know, and we'll look at this more as we go through the lesson, that it is impossible to be unified without the forgiving nature of love. Impossible to work together in unity without the bonding characteristic of love. I meant to say this statement I'm getting ready to say was meant for the end of the message, but I'll say it now. I forgot it. The Lord wants it for the end of the message, don't he? Ain't that something? Boy, that's amazing. I tried to get hold of the Lord and he just took it right out of my mind. All righty. So tonight, with the Lord's help, I want to take a few moments and look at this thought. I will be a unifying member. I will be a unifying member. But before we get into the meat of the message, I want to illustrate a couple of things about unity. You wonder why the couch is up here? You'll find out in just a little bit. I want to illustrate both the strength of unity and the struggle of disunity. So in order to illustrate the strength of unity, I have a video here that we're going to watch in just a second. Now, I don't know if any of you are fans of the old uh, Toyota Jeeps. You remember the old Toyota Jeeps? I uh, don't know if any of y'all fans of those, but we're getting ready to see some Toyota Jeeps do some amazing things. If y'all boys go ahead and play that video here, this shows the strength of unity. Jeep against one bulldozer, the Jeep doesn't stand a chance. 
But 20 jeeps against the bulldozer, and the bulldozer goes down. The strength of unity. They were able to pull it. He'd given it all he got, but he couldn't hold against 20 of those jeeps. So we see the strength of unity, but then I want to illustrate the struggle of disunity. Now, whenever you think about disunity, I believe there's three types of people that contribute to disunity. I believe there is the uninvolved person, uh, there is the opinionated person, and then there is the opposing person. I've asked Brother Ryan if he would to help me this evening. Brother Ryan, if you come up here. So Ryan and I are going to work together and we're going to attempt to work together, and we're going to attempt to move this couch, all right? And so we're going to try to illustrate each of these people. And so, the, the Brother Ryan, I appreciate you coming to help me with this couch. I thank you for it. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to illustrate to the uninvolved person, all right? So you're here to help me, but go ahead and have a seat right here. All right, you just have yourself a seat right there. You fellas got me in the camera. You can see what's going on over here. All right, all right. So, so Brother Ryan, we're going to move this couch, all right? But you're illustrating the uninvolved person, all right? So we're going to move it together, okay? So here you are. So... I'm trying to move the couch. Now, really, this couch isn't very heavy, but for illustration purposes, I, Brother Ryan's here, but I'm working alone because he's uninvolved. Next, we want to illustrate the opinionated person. Now, Brother Ryan, you're going to help me move this couch, but I think it needs to go over there next to the piano, and you think it needs to go down on the floor, all right? So we're going to carry the couch. Are you ready? All right, so here we go. This is the opinionated person, so I'm going over here to the piano. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go over here to the piano. We still aren't getting anything accomplished because although he's here, we're not united. Now, the third one I want to illustrate is the opposed person. This is the person that works against us. And so, Brother Ryan, what I want you to do this time is sit down on the couch. This is the dead weight guy. <laughs> You've met those guys in a unifying situation. He's here, but i got to move the couch, and it's a lot heavier than it was before. We see that here's the problem. Although he's here, we're not necessarily united. And just because he's here, we're not getting the work done. Thank you, Brother Ryan. I appreciate that. So we see the strength of unity. Watch here. See how well it works when you work together? The strength of unity. But we also see the struggle that comes with disunity. Now, I wanted to share one more thing with you about unity here just to help drive this on home. A Belgian horse, a Belgian draft horse. Some of y'all may be familiar with workhorses. I've always been intrigued by workhorses. If I had uh, a lot of land and a lot of time, I might would fool with workhorses, but I don't have either, so I'll just watch everybody else fool with them. But uh, Melissa's cousin, one time he had a team of uh, draft horses, and he'd hook them up to the sled and give us rides around the farm. I've always been intrigued with draft horses and the amount of work that these animals can do one Belgian draft horse, a trained Belgian draft horse, healthy draft horse, can pull 8,000 pounds. Now, that's pretty impressive that one horse by himself can pull 8,000 pounds. But if I were to get two Belgian draft horses uh, that did not know each other, that had never seen each other, had never worked together, one is from Texas and one's from Tennessee, these draft horses have never been together whatsoever, and I put them both in harness beside each other and hook them to the sled... Two Belgian horses can pull, what do you reckon? Well, the natural answer is 16,000. But because you put them together, 
two horses, although they've never worked together at all, you put them together, synergy begins to happen, and they can pull 24,000 pounds. Now that's pretty impressive. But you take two draft horses that were raised together and trained together and have always pulled together. They know each other inside and out. They're always in harness together. Those two horses can pull 32,000 pounds. There is power in unity. There is power in unity. I believe that these illustrations convey the message pretty good uh, that Unity is something that is needed. Unity is something that allows us to accomplish more for Christ. If you have four draft horses uh, pulling 8,000 pounds apiece, uh, they're pulling 32,000. But if you have two draft horses that are united in their goal, they can pull as much as the four horses can. Unity is a powerful, powerful tool. So this evening, I want to take a remainder of our time and delve a little deeper into this subject of unity and church membership. The first thing that I want to look at concerning unity is the mystery of unity, the mystery of unity. This thing of unity is mysterious in that it involves both the group and requires the individual. It involves the group, but it requires the individual. As we've seen in the video a moment ago, the strength of unity is in the group. The number of jeeps pulling together is what gave the group its strength. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, verse 9 through 12, 2 are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly Broken. Two is better than one, and three is better than two. There was a fellow I used to work for at the sawmill, and he used to say this all the time. One person can do one job, two people can do three jobs. Uh, well, two is better than one, three is better than two. There is strength in the group. We've all seen sports teams of average skill defeat teams that had better athletes on the team. But the average team won because although all the players were average, they played together, they enhanced one another's ability, and they were able to defeat a team that perhaps had one or two very skilled athletes, but they were caught up in themselves and would not include the rest of the team. There is strength in unity. The average team wins because they work together. Talent is important, but talent is limited. Talent can only accomplish so much. However, when my talent is combined with your talent and our talent is combined with their talent, we create a force that is unstoppable. But my talent in and of itself is limited. When church members unite their various strengths for the cause of Christ, the church becomes stronger. 
But whenever the membership is divided and each person tries to stand in their own strength, the, the group as a whole is unable to fulfill its mission. So we see that the strength of the unity is in the group, but here is the mystery. The success is in the individual. You say, now hang on, Pastor John, you just said that if you tried to be all in your own, you couldn't accomplish anything. That is correct. But the strength of the group, the strength of unity is the group, but the success is in the individual. Here's what I mean by that. Unity cannot happen unless each individual is willing to be united. Brother Randy, you can want to work with me, but if I don't want to work with you, unity's not going to happen. You can desire that we accomplish something together. Brother Ryan and I were trying to move the couch, but until we both are willing to work toward the same goal, it's never going to happen. So here is the mystery of unity. The strength is in the group, but the success is in the individual's willingness. And here comes the difficult part, to submit themselves one to another. You see, unity gets hung up here, and we're going to look at some enemies of unity in a minute, but unity gets hung up here. I say, I want to work with Brother Randy, but Brother Randy don't want to do it my way. So, Brother Randy's the problem. Or we could apply it many other different ways. Unity happens when each individual is willing to submit themselves and recognize that this mission, Brother Randy, is not about me. This mission's not about you. This mission is about Christ. And so no longer do you and I bicker over who has the right idea, but we saddle up together under the, the direction that the Lord has set and we go forth to accomplish great things for God. The success of unity is in the individual. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. If we are to be united as a group, then each individual must be willing to commit to that unity through submission, through love, and through a selfless attitude towards the other members in the group. Every member has the responsibility to be the source of, of unity. Every member has the responsibility to put aside their preferences for the accomplishment of the greater good. The mystery of unity is this, that if the group is to be united, then each individual must contribute to that unity to, through a selfless acceptance of all the other members. It's tough stuff, but it's how unity works. However, as is true with any good thing, there are some enemies to unity. And these enemies, if they're not controlled, are detrimental to its existence. So let's take a few minutes and look at the enemy of unity. You know, an automobile is an impressive machine. Now, we've had them for a long time. Matter of fact, they were around before I was born, so I've never known life without an automobile. And although we take them for granted, they're still pretty impressive machines. 
out there underneath that hood are, are pistons and spark plugs and belts and chains and gears all harmonized and synchronized and working together in perfect harmony. And that takes a vehicle that weighs several thousand pounds and sends it flying down the road at incredible rates of speed. This is a masterpiece. This thing is something to behold. I mean, it is a powerful machine. But if you put water in the gas tank, you turn that harmonized, synchronized, powerful machine into a sputtering, bucking, kicking, worthless piece of transportation. A little water in the tank totally changes the automobile. Airplanes are engineering marvel. I've went on a couple missions trips and we get in that thing that weighs hundreds of tons with hundreds of people on board and we fly at thousands of feet at hundreds of miles per hour. It is an engineering marvel that few people completely understand how it even works. They're amazing. Did you know since 1988, 271 airplanes have crashed to the ground because they ran into a bird? <laughs> Tremendous machine. And a bird puts it on the ground. Any good thing is going to have some enemies. Now, unity is powerful. Unity is strong. Unity is unstoppable in its work for Christ. But there are some enemies of unity that can get into a church and can cause the unified church to start acting like a car with water in the gas. So we're going to look at a couple of these enemies of unity. The first enemy of unity is gossip or negative conversation. This is a killer. This will kill a unified group faster than water will stop a gasoline automobile. This is a killer. The Bible says in Proverbs 6, starting in verse number 16, these six things doth the Lord hate. Now whenever the Lord hates something, that is an emotion that mine and your human mind is unable to comprehend. It's pretty strong when it says that the Lord hates something. There is absolutely no toleration for it. There is no loophole for it. There is no way around it. Now, I may hate something. That doesn't mean that it's final. When the Lord hates something, it's final. These six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. A proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. Did you catch that last verse? A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. This, the Bible says, God hates. There is no way around this. There's no loophole. There's no excuse. God hates it. Now, we could preach an entire sermon on the other five things that are listed here, but we're just going to focus on this verse because it goes with what we're looking at tonight. A false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates Gossip. Gossip has been defined several different ways, all of which I think are accurate. Gossip has been defined as idle talk 
Or in other words, unnecessary conversation about others. This is gossip. Unnecessary conversation about others. Gossip's also been defined as spreading rumors. Now we all know what a rumor is. We're all guilty of spreading them. But a rumor is unchecked, unproven assumptions that normally are negative in their connotation about others. Mm. This is gossip. Spreading stuff that you assumed or that you heard that you've never checked. It's not been proven. You just think that maybe it's so and you spread it around. This is gossip. It sows discord among brethren and God hates it. What else do they say about gossip? Another way it's been defined is sharing personal or private information about others. You know it, you share it, and it's not yours to share. All these fall, and all, all these fall under the accurate description of gossip, and all of these fit inside of verse number 16, there in Pro, or verse number 19 in Proverbs chapter number 6, where it says that God hates he that soweth discord among the brethren. Why does God hate gossip so much? Well, the Bible says in James 3, 6, and the tongue, this little thing in here, is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature. And where is its source of fire? The Bible says, and is set on fire of hell. The tongue going around and telling things it ought not tell, spreading rumors that it don't know if they're true, tearing down others, sharing personal and private information, wagon, 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 and it is setting on fire. The Bible says the course of nature and its source is the fire of hell, and God hates gossip, and there is nothing that will disband a group of people than someone going around spreading gossip. Gossip, negative conversation, it destroys unity in a church membership. How are we to combat gossip? There's two simple but powerful truths as to how we combat gossip. First of all, don't be a source of gossip. Now this, these are simple, but they're powerful. You want to stop gossip? First step, don't be a source. How do you not be a source? Well, let me just share this with you. If it's damaging to a person's character, if it's unnecessary, if you're unsure if it's true, don't spread it. In other words, if we was to put it in a more common vernacular, shut your mouth. That, that's basically what I'm trying to say here in a, in a little more learned way. If you want to stop the damaging effects of gossip on the ability of the church, the first thing you need to do is keep your mouth shut about other people. Very simple, very powerful. Like we've heard so many times, we hear it, but we often quote it and fail to obey it. If you have nothing good to say, say nothing at all. This is a very good rule. Very simple. We've all heard it all our life, but it works. As Paul said in Ephesians 4, verse number 29, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth. That's pretty plain. But Paul knows we like to talk, so he gives us something to talk about. 
He said, if you want to talk, don't let it be corrupt, but here's what you need to let it be. But that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. So here's what you say to yourself. You say, I'm getting ready to say this. I'm getting ready to share this with somebody. I'm getting ready to tell somebody this that I want to tell them. Now let me just ask myself a question. When I share this with them, is it going to minister grace? Is it going to bring them closer to God? Is it going to bring them closer to one another? Is it going to bond us together in a spirit of love and unity? Is it ministering grace to the hearers? Is it edifying? or is it corrupt communication that could ultimately undermine and destroy the unity that is in the church. So first way that we combat gossip is don't be a source and the second way we combat gossip is don't be a sounding board. First, don't say it. Second, don't hear it. If a gossip can find no one to listen to their degrading conversation then their gossip loses its power. Because they can think it in their head all they want, but they can't damage the rest of the church unless somebody listens. And whenever they listen, now they begin to divide. You say, well, what do I do? I mean, they just come up to me and they start talking and they're just telling me all this stuff. What do I do? You say, stop. I'm not interested. I don't, I don't want to hear it. I don't want you to talk about it. I don't want to hear it. Stop. You're not going to talk about my brothers and sisters in Christ that way. But it's true. I don't care. I'm not going to listen to it. Don't be a source. Don't be a sounding board. And you stop gossip in its tracks. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. You want to enjoy life? Don't talk about people. Pretty simple. It's amazing how many people fall snare to talking about others. The reason so many people fall snare is the devil knows it's effective and so he keeps using it to keep people from finding joy in life. He said, if you want to, you want to enjoy life, don't talk about others. Refrain your tongue from evil and your lips that they speak no guile. So the first enemy of unity that we see is gossip or negative conversation. The second enemy of unity in the church is unforgiveness. Unforgiveness will stop unity dead in its tracks. Brother Randy, I've been using you all service long. Brother Randy, you and I won't work together if I feel that you've done me wrong and I won't forgive you for it, and vice versa. We won't work together unless I'm able to forgive you. Unforgiveness will stop unity in its tracks. Now listen to this. We are humans. Maybe I need to say that again. We are humans. You say, what are you saying, Pastor John? Well, what I'm saying is uh, we are going to do the wrong thing. We're going to go the wrong way. We're going to say things that we shouldn't say. We're going to offend people. We're going to have abrasions. We're going to act in ways that you don't like. Matter of fact, as humans, uh, there's no two of us exactly alike. And I know that's true because I'm, I feel like I'm three or four different people inside this body. I mean, I, you just can't agree with yourself. Uh, and so the, all people uh, are made up of different personalities. All people have different characteristics. 
characteristics. Uh, all people have different likes, different dislikes. Uh, all people have things that appeal to them uh, that don't appeal to others. Matter of fact, uh, we all have different weaknesses when it comes to temptations. There are sins that will trip you up that don't bother me and there are things that don't bother you that will trip me up. We are all 100% completely different and because of our differences and because of this sinful flesh, when you put us together, it's not going to be a perfect relationship. Matter of fact, it's going to be an abrasive relationship. There's going to be potential for all kinds of hurt feelings. There's going to be potential for all kinds of opinions. There's going to be potential for people to try and find someone who agrees with their point of view to help them feel better that this person's point of view isn't right. Oh, all this stuff happens. Why does it happen? Because we're humans. That's why it happens. Matter of fact, if you are waiting for a perfect world, this is the statement I was going to say earlier the Lord took away from me. If you are waiting for everybody to be perfect before you get united, nothing is going to be done for the cause of Christ on this earth. But I'm afraid that a lot of times we're waiting on perfect people to unite with. And how do we define perfection? Well, they're just like me. I mean, it's actually pretty simple how we define perfection is they're just like me. They think like me. They act like me. They like what I like. They believe what I believe. We're headed the same direction, have the same goals. That's a perfect person. That's somebody I can unite with. Well, Paul told us in 1 Corinthians 12 that some are the eye, some are the ear, some are the hand, some are the feet. We are completely different. God made us that way so that we could accomplish far more for Christ. You know, the trouble is that we are humans. Because we're humans, our relationships are abrasive. That's why we've got to have charity to be that grease that keeps the abrasion down. But the, even the bigger trouble than the fact that we're abrasive is that we're unfair. Brother Ted, I might say something that offends you, and I expect you to forgive me. Yeah. Right. I, mean, I mean, I didn't mean it. I mean, I did, the way Brother Ted took it's not how I meant to say it. That's not, that's not what I meant. And Brother Ted just needs to understand that's not how I meant. Brother Ted needs to forgive me. But Brother Ted, you say something to offend me? Uh-uh. Ain't no forgiveness coming your way. You knew better than to talk to me that way. Is that not exactly how we work in our relationships? I mean exactly how we work in our relationships. Uh, I, am, I am expecting that you overlook my mistakes. Uh, I expect you to overlook uh, my shortcomings. I expect you to be gracious uh, with the areas that I'm not perfect. Uh, but whenever it comes to me looking at you, you got to be perfect. We're so unfair. Humans are so unfair. And our unfairness results in unforgiveness that results in the inability to unite together for the cause of Christ. Let me just state this plainly. Without forgiveness in amongst God's people, there will never be unity. That's the bottom line. Without forgiveness, there will never be unity. We are all flawed. But unity can happen and does happen. 
when we are willing to forgive and support one another. Colossians 3, verses 12 and 13 says, Put on, therefore, speaking to us, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, here's what you to put on, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. How do we get united? We learn to forgive. And he put this in here, as Christ forgave you. Because oftentimes we put our own terms on our forgiveness. We forgive those who deserve it, right? He said, I want you to forgive the way Christ forgave. How did Christ forgive? He forgave those that did not deserve it. He forgave those who were still offending. As Christ forgave, so also do ye. Now this don't mean that there won't be times of conflict. Oh, there'll be times of conflict. Remember, we're human. There's going to be times when there's disagreements that need to be dealt with. There's going to be times that brothers and sisters in Christ need to sit down with one another and say, hey, there's a problem, and we need to work through it. There's going to be conflict. I'm not saying that we ignore conflict, not at all. There's going to be conflict, and we need to work through the conflict. But we come to the conflict with an attitude of repairing the conflict, and after the conflict is repaired, we forgive one another. And also, let me just throw this out there. The forgiveness needs to speak louder than the offense. If someone is aware that there's been a problem, you need to let them know regularly that there is no longer a problem. You need to let them know regularly that it is taken care of and there is no ought there. They ought not ever have to worry that it's going to come up again. It is forgiven. When God forgives us, He puts it under the blood. He removes it as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. And when we forgive our brothers and sisters in Christ, whatever the offense was, never is to be brought up again. Now they may have a new problem. We deal with that one, but when we deal with it, we don't bring up the old one. Forgiving one another. The Bible says in Matthew 6, 14 and 15, For if we forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. I love that verse. Because in this verse, he points out that you've got problems too. If you forgive your brother their trespasses, then I will forgive you. I mean, the Lord says plainly, both of you need forgiveness. And if you'll forgive him, I'll forgive you. But lastly this evening, let's remember the bond of unity. There's the mystery of unity, strength in the group, success in the individual. There is the enemies of unity, gossip and unforgiveness. But then this evening, I want us to remember the bond of unity. In Colossians 3 and verse number 14, the Bible says, And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. How can a group of flawed humans work together so perfectly? Put on 
charity, which is the bond of perfectness. As I said when I started, that grease in that rear differential that takes all those abrasive pieces of steel and allows them to work together in perfect harmony. Charity is the bond of perfectness. We looked last week how that 1 Corinthians chapter number 13 was written to the church concerning putting on charity in our behavior one to another. To close this message this evening, I wanted to remind us 1 Corinthians 13. Turn over there with me. We're going to read verse 1 down through the beginning of verse 8. This is the bond of perfectness. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, my dad always defined charity as love in action. Love that you can see. Love that is doing something. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. What is this charity that he keeps talking about? Well, right here in verse 4 down through verse 8, he defines it. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. Rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. This is the bond of unity. This is what makes unity possible. You say, well, Pastor John, I read down through that list from verse 4 down through the beginning of verse number 8, and I think I'm pretty good because I've got most of them. Okay, do me a favor. Go in and circle the ones you don't have and start working on them because it takes them all in order to just demonstrate the charity that Christ wants us to have so that we as a church can be bound together in unity. In closing this evening, here's my challenge to you. Will you be a unifying church member? Will you do your part to contribute to the unity of the church so that together we'll be like a team of Belgian horses and the devil and his forces can't hold us back as we take the gospel to the world. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the truth. And Lord, although we know this truth, Lord, although we've heard this truth, Lord, a lot of times it's difficult for us as humans 
to put this truth into practice. Father, I thank you that you give us your word to instruct us, Lord, to correct us, to direct us, Lord, that we can work on being unified. Father, I thank you from Albrook Baptist Church. And Lord, I thank you that, Lord, we are in many ways unified for the cause of Christ. Father, I pray that you will help us to continue to grow and develop. And Father, Lord, that we will be a church that can make a difference in this world for the cause of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for these folks. Thank you for this opportunity to be in your house. Bless us as we go throughout this week. Lord, I pray for the many, oh Lord, that are sick, those that are home, those that are unable to be with us. Oh Lord, those that are grieving the loss of a loved one. And oh Father, Lord, so many, oh Lord, that are hurting and suffering. Father, I pray that you'll be with each one. I pray, dear Lord, you'll comfort their hearts. I pray, dear Lord, that you will be near to them. And Lord, that the peace of God will minister to their souls, Father, I pray. I pray, dear Lord, that you'll be with us. Oh Lord, as we go out into the community, that Lord, we will be a witness, and Lord, that we will tell others about you. Thank you for your goodness to us. Be with us throughout this evening, and we'll praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You are dismissed. Mm-hmm.